At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters. And, what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn, and when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm going to choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. One of my favorite episodes of Inside Out is my conversation with John Asperian. During that interview, he mentioned his mentor was a guy named Mark Schaefer. And since I respect John so much, I decided to read one of Mark's books, Known, and invite him on the show. Fortunately for me and you, he said yes. And this episode is our conversation. Mark is a globally recognized blogger, speaker, and author of seven best-selling books, Social Media Explained, Return on Influence, Born to Blog, The Content Code, The Tao of Twitter, Known, and Marketing Rebellion. He's also the co-host of a phenomenal podcast, and I just fell in love with this podcast the first time I heard it. It's called The Marketing Companion. He's also been ranked in the top 10 of the most retweeted marketing authorities in the world. Frankly, he's one of the most recognized social media authorities, period. And he's been a keynote speaker at some of the most prominent conferences in the world. Needless to say, his work has landed on pretty much every noteworthy publication there is, including places like The Wall Street Journal, Wired, New York Times, CNN, and the Harvard Business Review, just to name a few. It was an honor to sit down with Mark as we explore themes from his book, Known, which will help you on your path not to be famous, but to be an authority in your space through personal branding, content, and the ability to stand out in a noisy world. This was a truly fascinating conversation and even explores some emerging trends, things like nostalgia marketing and synthetic influencers, things that might just blow you away. So enough of the buildup. Let's jump straight in to the conversation. 
Mark Schaefer, thanks for being on Inside Out. I'm delighted to be here. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, me as well. And let's get started with something that we're both passionate about, baseball. Specifically, I want to talk about Wee Willie Keeler, who has a very famous quote. In fact, I have known of that quote for a long time, but I didn't honestly attribute it to him until I read your book. What is the quote and why should we care about that? Well, one of the disappointing things to me about marketing is that marketers tend to flock to whatever is popular until they ruin it. And then it, and, and the, the key to great business and the key to great marketing is nonconformity, not conformity. Mm-hmm. So I love baseball, reading about the history of baseball. We, Willie Keeler, played in the late 1800s, and he was five foot four inches tall one of the smallest players ever to play the game. This is a game where you've got to have power and you've got to have might and bat speed. And so to succeed, he had to find a new way to hit. And so what he would do is he would look at the defense and then just smack the ball in the holes where the defensive players weren't. And a reporter asked him once, and he won two batting titles. And a reporter asked him one time and he said, well, Mr. Keeler, what's the reason for your success? He said, oh, it's quite simple. I just hit them where they ain't. And I think that's a great message for business too. We we can't do what everybody else is doing. We have to zig when other people zag. If everybody's zigging, nobody's going to buy from us. We're all going to be the same. Mm-hmm. So I like that quote. I think it's a good quote for business. I completely agree. I loved it when I read it, and I can't say enough how much we should be thinking about that no matter what we do in life. And when I think about baseball, it's sort of a nostalgic type of thing for me because I've loved it since I was a kid. And while we're on the topic of nostalgia, I sent John Asperian a direct message telling him that I was going to be meeting with you and seeing if he had any advice. And he says, why don't you talk about something that he's been talking about which is nostalgia marketing. And so he said, you've been mentioning it on your podcast and I listened to your last few podcasts. And it is something that I think is a really interesting approach to how we can garner the attention of people by tapping into something that they may have a fond memory of. Talk a little bit about why you're bringing that up and why you think it's important. Well, there are two big mega trends that are coming together right now. Number one is that What is nostalgia about? It's something sort of craving for a simpler, happier time, normally associated with our childhood. Now, there was no marketing to me directly as a child of the 1960s and even the 1970s. Direct marketing to children really started to happen with cable television in the 80s because that's when we had Nickelodeon. That's when we had children-specific TV was created specific children marketing. There's no real brand of my childhood that I identify with, not even really a specific toy of my childhood I really associate with. But in the 80s and 90s, this was the golden age of marketing to children mm-hmm. and this explosion of products. This generation of adults is ripe for these warm memories because companies spent millions and millions and millions of dollars to create these emotional connections to products of that generation. 
So that's number one. Number two, we have just about had it in this pandemic. We've been so afraid for so long and fearful for so long. And we are conditioning a generation that's going to have post-traumatic stress disorder because this stress accumulates. It doesn't go away. It builds and builds every day, every day, every day. And we have a world that's ready to explode. And we've got a group of adults now. They need comforted. Anything that's comforting is selling big right now. Anything. Blankets, slippers, sweatpants, breakfast cereal, any sort of comfort food. And so it just makes sense that we are going to have this explosion in nostalgia marketing. And here is the number one case study for that. Cobra Kai. (laughs) Totally. There it is. This is the best feel good movie of uh, you know of a generation and now they're we're, we're bringing back these characters and familiar storylines because we want it right now we just need it right now we need to connect with those characters and that feeling in the and the and the simple happiness we had in the past just keep your eyes open billy because you're going to start seeing this everywhere in the next mm-hmm. few years well, speaking of tapping into the past, at first when I was going to bring this up, I was thinking it was a complete polar opposite of what you're talking about. It is a trend, but that is synthetic marketing, which you t- explored on another episode. And where I can tie this in and where you tied this in is the future of cinema, for example, like James Dean or, you know, who else can we see because of this? So no. Frame this out for those that haven't heard your episode. Synthetic marketing is becoming a trend and some argue that it's going to be the future of all marketing, which that's a whole nother debate, but what should we be looking for there? And how can that actually help us get back to get, get back to this nostalgic type of feeling? Well, we covered this on a recent um, episode of the marketing companion. And there's a thought leader and author who I like very much named Nina Schick. And actually, fun fact, I've got an online event coming up in February called The Uprising, and Nina is going to be one of the speakers at this event. So you check out my website if you want to hear Nina talk about this idea of synthetic content. She is going to be there. So the main idea behind synthetic content is that probably many people listening to your episode here are, are like Star Wars and the Star Wars movies. And There was a Star Wars movie that was made after Carrie Fisher died. And so they recreated her and you could tell it just wasn't right. The lighting wasn't right and her face was kind of puffy. You just knew it wasn't her. And, you know, look, this is Lucasfilm. This is Disney. They use the best possible technology and you just knew it was kind of off. All right. Now, there are new tools available basically free or low cost, generally available tools where anybody can make Hollywood quality video content, audio content, written content. And so people were able to use these tools to recreate that scene in Star Wars and make a Carrie Fisher that was exactly right. So the point of this is you don't need to be Hollywood anymore. That this ability 
to create the synthetic content, synthetic people, synthetic experiences. It's not real. It's not organic. The people really aren't there. It's going to become widespread and ubiquitous. Now, as you hinted at, there's some pretty exciting opportunities for entertainment here. I would love to see a new movie with the Marx Brothers. As long as you can license those characters, you can create all new films with Charlie Chaplin and the Marx Brothers and Clark Gable and Marilyn Monroe and John Wayne. There's also an implication for this for influencer marketing. Today, influencers are wearing masks. They're not in, at glamorous parties. But someone like LeBron James could license his image and people could create something that looks like LeBron and sounds like LeBron, and he could appear anywhere and make lots of money from it. Now, you're probably already thinking, obviously, the negative consequences is that someone could do this to you and me. They could make up things, us saying things that we haven't said that are not real. And it's going to become get to a point where the synthetic content is going to be not detectable. Obviously, there are implications here for politics, mm. for people who hate certain companies or certain individuals. It's going to be quite you know, unstoppable, I think. And so that's what this idea of synthetic content is about. And I also, you know, I, my mind always goes to, well, what does this going to mean for marketing? Mm-hmm. What is this going to mean for quality? What's it going to mean for the quantity of content that's being out there? What are the pluses and minuses for business? So there's, it's a very rich subject. It's a very, it's a deep subject with lots of both positive and negative implications. You know the deep fake revolution is real when a kid with a laptop can post something on YouTube that does a better job than Lucasfilm or DreamWorks or any of the other number of companies that are, at your point, they have at their disposal all of the greatest tech that exists. Right. It, It will happen. It's not a question of if. It's already here. I can see a future. You mentioned LeBron James, and I had a flash of the future of all of his advertising. He doesn't need to go do that anymore. He just exactly right. He doesn't need to. He, why waste? And the time? other, the other piece of this, I, I wrote a blog post last week. Oh no, actually, it was a podcast episode as well, Marketing Companion podcast, about a CGI influencer that made twelve million dollars last year. This is a made-up character. Wow. She never, she's never existed. She's not real. She's like a cartoon puppet almost, mm-hmm. but she looks real and she acts real and you can put her in any situation and she never complains and she never gets sick and she doesn't mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, need a day off. And you know she's made $12 million for right. her agency. And why wouldn't she appear in movies next? Mm-hmm. Why not? That's right. She doesn't need a movie trailer. She doesn't need a craft service table ready for her. She's she's low maintenance. So I told you before we started that I loved your book, Known, and I want to dive in on some of the principles and insights that I gathered there. And to your own content creation methodology, you, you, you collect fabulous ideas from a lot of different people. So some of the things are things that you've collected. Some of the things are unique through points that I think are your own your own take on what they've said, but also you've created it in such a way that I think does a wonderful job of explaining why we should focus on being known as opposed to being famous. Can you just talk a little bit about the nuance and difference there for those that are listening that may not separate the two? 
Yeah, I think it's very important because the phrase personal branding sort of has a negative connotation to it today. And if I could come up with a, a better word for that for my book, to use in my book, I probably would have done it. But it is what it is. And I think today, everyone has a personal brand. A personal brand is what people think about you. So it's an accumulation of experiences that people have with you. They might think that you're very smart, you're very accomplished, you're very competent, you're very warm based on your actions and how you show up. So why not be systematic about it? Why not be mindful about it? Why not amplify the good things that people think about you? Because, Billy, today, this is the last, maybe the only sustainable competitive advantage that we have. Mm -hmm. If you're known and other people aren't, you'll get the job. You, the doors will, will open. The phone calls will be returned. More people will give money to your charity if they believe in you, if they know of you. It doesn't mean you're a YouTube star. It doesn't mean you're a kid on a skateboard selling energy drinks or that mm -hmm. you're on Snapchat or something. It means mindfully, systematically creating this online presence so that you have the authority and the reputation and the awareness you need to get your job done, whatever that is, to create the opportunities to give you your best chance to succeed. That's really what it's all about. Mm. So you, you use the word awareness and you use this word in your book, but you, you go a step further. It's not just about awareness. What's the next step past awareness that we should be thinking about? Tom Webster says it, you shouldn't be just, it's not top of mind right. awareness. Right. Well, you know, Tom, I've been so fortunate to have a friendship with Tom because he's one of the keenest minds in the business. You know, Tom said it, it's, it's not just enough to be top of mind. You can name a famous brand, and that's what's at the top of mind. But is that the brand you're going to support? Is that the brand you're going to buy from? And that's what you really want to be. You want to be the preferred. And that comes through some emotional connection that belongs to you, that's special to you. And that's what I really explore in depth in the next book that I wrote after No, which is Marketing Rebellion. And it's this idea Billy, that today, when I was a kid, people created this connection to a brand because of advertising, because it was lemon-scented or it cleaned better or whatever. Right, right, right. And today, we're moving to this new era where the emotional connection to a company comes with people. People don't trust ads. They don't see ads like they used to. People are moving to streaming services like Spotify or Amazon Prime or Netflix. They don't see ads. They don't hear ads anymore. And the trust and the emotional connection becomes, turns to people. That's how the book Known and Marketing Rebellion kind of go together. Marketing Rebellion explains why this is critically important because people don't believe companies. They believe people and they want to hear from people. And today having an effective social media presence is a life skill. And Marketing Rebellion tells you why, and then Known tells you how to do it. <laughs> mm, love that. And it makes a ton of sense because it starts with the awareness, but it moves beyond awareness and it's preference. Are you actually picking yeah. a company, a service 
a person, an entity to say, yes, I, I not only am aware of you, but I, I prefer you as the whatever it is I want for this particular purpose. So a through line in your book, and one of the most important takeaways I had is this concept and understanding the intersection between place and space. Why is that is so important? And define for my listeners what exactly that means. Yeah. Well, this really goes very well with this first idea that we talked about in terms of the Willie Keeler example and why you need to hit them where they ain't. And the reason I wrote the book is I was sort of, I I became obsessed with answering this question, can anybody become known? And there really wasn't good research out there about it. A lot of the advice on the web is like, if you can dream it, you can be it. And if you can be it, you can be it. And the world just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. And I wanted data. I want to know how do you do this? What is the practical way to do this? So I ended up interviewing 97 different people who were known all around the world. They were the, sort of the go-to person in their field, wherever they are, you know, fitness, wealth management, education, music, art, real estate, construction, you know, all kinds of different fields. And what I found is they all did the same four things, no exceptions. And even after I've talked to people since then, there haven't been any exceptions. So the first idea, which you need to think about what you want to be known for, Uh, what is the space that you want to occupy? And I talk about it, it doesn't necessarily mean that's your passion. You know, maybe your passion is your hobby. What you want to do is, is create something that you love and something that you believe in because you're going to spend a long time, a lot of time with it. But you also want enough people out there who care about it that can help make your dreams come true. So it's kind of like, all right, here's the story I want to tell about myself, you know, that's authentic. You know, it's interesting. It's relevant. Now, where am I going to tell that story? Where's Mm -hmm. the space? How do I hit them where they ain't? That's important because, as I said, you know, you go to these like social media conferences and say, all right, everybody needs to be on Snapchat. And then everybody goes to Snapchat and everybody needs to be on TikTok. Everybody goes to TikTok. You need to find some sort of way to maneuver that is unique to you. And it doesn't necessarily need to be a platform. It could be the way you do it. It could be how much you do it. It could be how well you do it. But you you need to find your little way to zig when everybody is zagging. That makes the big difference. I'll never forget, first time I gave a speech about the book, someone was sitting in the audience and he came up to me afterwards and he said, I've been working on this business you know, for for the last 10 years, and I just haven't been able to break through. And in the first 10 minutes of your speech, I figured it out because I'm just doing what everybody else is doing. Mm -hmm. You know, I haven't differentiated myself in a way that matters. And the cool thing about the book is that there's lots of exercises in the book. It'll help everybody sort of figure out how they can get there. Mm, And I want to get into one of them in a minute which is the topic and the core value. Before we get into that, I don't want to leave this topic of passion aside because it's the buzzword. We should all you know, just follow our passion, yeah. follow our passion. And one of the things that we talked about before getting started is how do we dispel or perhaps have a differing opinion from a commonly held belief 
Even somebody like Gary Vee, as you talk about, he has got this belief that you just have this one singular passion. And you're like, well, if you were going for your one singular passion, you'd just be dealing sports cards or or you would just be in the sports biz. Yeah. And I think passion is great. We should all have passion for what we do. But the distinction you make, which I love this, Uh is you should have a sustainable interest. Right. A sustainable interest because the passion's great. But what's your sustainable interest? Maybe you could share why that's so important. Yeah. And first is just to be clear, Gary Vee is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of the reasons I wrote the book, actually, because, I mean, I think there's a lot of terrible advice out there. Gary's done a lot of wonderful things that I admire him in a lot of ways, but his advice on personal branding is terrible. It's wrong. And it misleads people because, okay, so let's go back to data. The number one reason that people fail and businesses fail is they follow their passion. Number one reason, because there's not enough people who care at the end of the day. You know, I'll give you an example that there was a fella, he had a personal coaching session with me and he said, yo, I followed your book. I followed your book. And my passion is I collect autographs. This guy is like the number one autograph collector in the world. He wrote a book about collecting autographs. He said, but I don't know, I, I can't make any money. And the reason is there's not, his niche is so small. Mm. I mean, he can't go to a city and give a speech about autograph collecting. Two people would show up maybe. So there's got to be enough people that care. And what re- what usually happens in life is that you don't follow your passion. Your passion follows you. And what I mean by that, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a baseball player. I wanted to be an astronaut. That was my passion. Today, you know, I love more than anything being outdoors. I live in the foothills of the Great Smoky Mountain National Park, and I love hiking. I love being on the lakes, but there's nothing significant and unique about me that I could turn that passion into something that's sustainable. Now, I'm a digital marketing consultant. I love what I do. I have fun every day. I can't imagine a more rewarding thing to do, but I didn't, this was not my dream. You know, I didn't dream about this as a child. My passion followed me and there's enough people that care about it that, it, you know, it's become a successful business. Well, sometimes a hobby is just a hobby and that's, okay. and that's okay. And that's okay. okay. And, mm-hmm. I, and, all the, and by the way, I also want to be clear about this is that sometimes your passion is your sustainable interest for sure. I mean, maybe there will be that intersection where your gift and your passion and your audience all line up. Mm -hmm. And that's certainly possible. And I don't want to tell anybody that they shouldn't follow their passion or they shouldn't follow their dream because there are other reasons. Sometimes you want to follow your passion just because it's your passion. You don't care if you make money. Maybe it's a political cause. Maybe it's an environmental cause. Who cares? You know, you want to be known. You want to get your voice out there. So go for it. Mm -hmm. The only thing I plead with people in this book is if you're going to devote your life to something, do a little homework first. Mm -hmm. Just think about it. Think it through. Go through the exercises to make sure this is the right path. And then take your best shot. I think this is true with almost anything in life. If we take 
a few moments or perhaps a few hours or a few days to reflect. I think people don't hit the pause button enough with anything they do, whether it's reacting to a situation or picking the thing that they do for their livelihood. You highlight some really interesting things in the book, like your passion. You don't find your passion. Sometimes your passion finds you, right? And you talk about James Altucher and, you know, are you solving the problem of many, which I love. Speaking of the exercises that you brought up, one is this only I exercise, which I love. And another is how do you combine a topic with the core value? Maybe you could share those and any others that you think would be valuable for somebody to find a sustainable interest. Well, you mentioned two of the good ones. And there's a third one I'll bring up briefly too, that seems to have helped a lot of people. So the first one is this idea about finishing this sentence only I. And this is very, very powerful. And it forces you to think about what is really different about you. And by the way, I use this not just with people and personal branding, but in my consulting with companies too and branding. You know, what is our only I or what is our only we? Why do people love you? What do they ask you questions about? What do they rely on you on? What can you do that nobody else can do? And that might seem like an awesome and an intimidating exercise, but I've never been able to find a person where we haven't been able to find that and activate that. So that's very powerful. The second one that seems to help a lot of people is I'll ask people in the last year or two years, what have you done that has made you come alive? In fact, I had a conversation about this just two hours ago with a woman, her business is floundering, and she talked about this thing that she does that, oh, it just made people so joyful. I said, well, how do you apply that to right now in this pandemic? What is the underserved or unmet customer need where this joy that you have, you can share this joy with others and make money? And it's like, poof, she figured it out. There's her business right there. There's a great signal there. What makes you come alive? Mm. What happened to you in the last two years? And you think, yeah, that's why I'm here. That's what I love. Okay, that's a big signal about what your sustainable interest could be or should be. And then the third one you were talking about is this is this mashup idea, which is very, very powerful. And here's a really cool example. I was down in Brazil And my friend said, oh, we want you to meet someone. Her name is Isadora. She's a food blogger. I kind of rolled my eyes like, oh my gosh, there are so many food bloggers. Why is she so special? But she is because she's a food blogger. She's trained as a chef, but she loves American television shows and movies. So she makes these cooking videos dressed up as characters from the television shows and the movies. And in the book, I've got a picture of her dressed up as Marge Simpson, and she's making Homer's donuts. So that's an example where there are millions of food bloggers, but she mashed this up with another one of her passions, which is television and TV, and created something entirely unique to her. And now, took her a few years, that's her full-time career, is doing these cooking shows and cookbooks and television appearances. That's what that idea is about. Yeah. And again, I can't overemphasize this enough. The book is filled with 
thought-provoking ways for you to identify how you can allow, as you say, and, and as you quote, let your freak flag fly, like do something different. And sometimes it's a matter of just combining two things, putting them together. And all of a sudden you have something unique that is right. going to be your own distinctive and recognizable self. Speaking of distinctive and recognizable, you compare this to jazz a bit and that you're a jazz fan and looking at some of the greats of all time, they have a unique feel. They have, and my buddy, John Asperian, he wrote Content DNA, which clearly definitely learned a lot from you and your teaching. What do you think are some of the other ways that somebody can, either through their content or through their personal brand, buzzword, they can create a unique presence, let their freak flag fly, as they say. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting subject. So I've got a new book coming out in in February that I'm just starting to talk about. So this is a bit of a world debut for you. I haven't been doing a lot of interviews on this yet. So it's almost like a companion book to known in a way. And the book is called Cumulative Advantage, How to Build Momentum for Your Ideas, Your Life, and Your Business Against All Odds. So it sort of blends with this idea of becoming known. Because once you identify things, then you have to amplify it. You have to build momentum for this. And there's there's a real science behind this that is well known in the field of sociology, but it hasn't been applied in a practical way to people and to businesses. And that's what I do in my book. And here's the thing, Billy, that I think is this powerful common thread in both of these books is that to build a personal brand, to become known, to build momentum, you don't have to have a PhD. You don't have to be rich. It's the the ideas and the opportunities are accessible to anybody, really anybody. And this idea that you're that about your freak flag and, and how do you combine this thing? A lot of times we look up at someone who's successful and say, oh, wow, I could never be like that. Those people started at the bottom too. No one's born that way. And every successful person and every successful business is a random event. It could be a person that we met. It could be a conversation that we had. I talked to a lady earlier this morning. She said her entire career started because something she read on the back cover of a book completely pivoted her life and moved her into a direction. It could be someone that inspired us. It could be a teacher. It could be something that we heard on a podcast one time. The idea behind this mashup, behind the the freak flag, behind this initial advantage that leads to momentum, it's being curious. It's like, like kind of watching the world and wondering, why is that? Could I do something better? It's being aware of these random opportunities that are coming at you every day. It's knowing when to pursue curiosity, when to open that door and step through and see what's on the other side. That's the beginning of momentum. It's accessible to anybody. It really is that simple. Mm. And in a minute, we'll talk about you know needing to have a nose for the news and to yeah. be a, a content collector. Before we do, I can't leave this opportunity to talk about Speaking of random events, sometimes you get an assist from Google, as you highlight in your book, and sometimes you get an assist from Pee Wee Herman. Tell us how Pee Wee Herman gave you an assist on your Twitter post. Oh my gosh, that is an old story. That's an old story. 
I can't remember what he retweeted. What it's like twenty stupidest things I, I posted oh. on Twitter. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. So this was early in my blogging career. How did you even hear about that? I can't reveal my secrets. No, I think I actually think that's in the book as well. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was in one of my books for sure. But yeah, Pee-wee Herman retweeted one of my tweets. That was pretty cool. There is a lesson there that I've had blog posts go viral. I've had podcast episodes go viral. And how has that helped my long-term success? Almost nothing. Really, literally, almost nothing. If you look at the number of people who subscribe to my blog, it's a little bit better every week, a little bit better every month. It's slow but steady success. And, you know, I think there's an important lesson there that somehow we have this dream. If we could just go viral, everything would be different. And there's no substitute. Consistency is more important than genius. It's more important than Pee Wee Herman. Mm. <laughs> it's more important than, you know, I've been retweeted by, you know, Guy Kawasaki. I've been retweeted by a lot of different people. And it doesn't make a difference. It might cause you a lot of work for a day or two. You just have to keep on plugging with whatever you're doing in your business and your brand. Mm, love that, I must man. congratulate you for asking me questions about things that happened 12 years ago that I haven't thought about in 12 years, and no one has asked me that question ever. Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to hear that. I always like trying to ask questions that haven't been asked before. I don't know if this has been asked before, but let's get into the content mode. Let's talk about content creation. One of the things that I loved is you talk about, you know, sometimes you might just need to drink a beer for content creation. And so I'm curious, has that ever been asked? One, and then two, why, why, why that? I mean, I agree with you because sometimes you just need to relax yourself, but I'm curious what your, what your thoughts are. Well, there is a serious point to that, but the, the main reason I included that was I think that the most effective content is content that's R-I-T-E, R-I-T-E, relevant, interesting, timely, and entertaining. And I think the entertainment part is particularly important and particularly challenging because if you think about the content you like to share, there's probably some entertaining aspect to it. It's like, oh my gosh, I love this. I can't wait to share it with my friends. Or this made me go, wow. Or I learned something I never learned before. And that's what gets shared. Mm -hmm. So the comment that you made about creativity and drinking a beer was at the, the last point list of serious points. And then I came across this thing about how it's important to relax and how alcohol can make you relax. So I said, hey, maybe you just need to drink a beer. The reason I expressed it that way is because it was time for me to not take myself so seriously. It was time to, you know, I call this decorating the book. I, I do this with my speeches as well. My speech is going to cover a serious topic with serious things to learn. It has to be entertaining. It has to be provocative. You have to keep people's attention. Every five to seven minutes, they tune out. And so in my book and in my speeches and in all my content, I think about how do I insert something here that brings them back, that makes them go, oh, have a beer. That's funny. And it's funny. You asked me, you know, if people have asked, have asked me that, about that before, that line has stood out to people. Mm. And I can't remember how many items were in that list, maybe a dozen, but that's the one that people remember. And that's the one that people ask me about. And it shows the value 
of presenting things in a way that's entertaining. I think I literally laughed out loud when I heard it, yeah. but it also struck a chord with me. To your point, you also had some very serious, very tactical things above that, not least of which is, first of all, people have this misconception that they always need to be creative and thinking of brand new things when a lot of what works is just, as I said earlier, you develop a nose for news, you add your own insight or perspective on it, you do a roundup of other people's thoughts or opinions on a certain subject, and you could include that. So there are a number of ways that you can curate and create ideas and concepts that you can then share in the form of a blog, a podcast. I mean, I did a podcast based on an email that I got from somebody that wanted to be on my show. So I think the through line, one of the through lines is like, just be aware. And and, then the other thing that I thought was really interesting is that you don't necessarily subscribe to like having this like really elaborate content calendar Wow. You instead, you're you're like a lot like me in terms of when I post on LinkedIn, it's like it's very top of mind. Like I may do a post immediately after this and talking about this interview, for example. Mm-hmm. And so those sorts of things I think people should be more in tune with. I don't know what additional insights you would want to bring into the table because I've talked about a few of them, but what else do you think would be valuable to share on that front? Well, I mean, a lot of people really subscribe to the idea of content calendars. And if you're working for a big mega corporation with lots of contributors and lots of moving parts, that's probably important. But what you miss is the fun and the extemporaneous nature of what you could be doing that's real and authentic and timely. And a core idea in everything that I do, which I explored predominantly in this book called The content code that I wrote is that the economic value of content that's not seen and shared is zero. Creating content is not just this creative process. We also have to think about how will this ignite? If people don't see it and share it, why are we doing it? So if this gets back to your question precisely, because if you're creating content that's absolutely timely, oh my gosh, this is in the news. Oh, Mark just wrote something about this. I, I got I got to read this. I did that this week. The U.S. government just filed this lawsuit against Facebook. So I wrote an opinion piece about that because it's now. It's happening. It's now. It's no, there's no content calendar. It's in the news. So I wrote about it. And sometimes, I mean, I'll stay up till late at night. Being timely is, 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 is really important. And, and one of the reasons that people share content One of the reasons why content ignites is because it's new and it's fresh. People like to share content because it makes them look cool. So here's something in the news. Oh, here's a, here's a a brand new article about it. If I'm the first one, I'm brand new. Yeah. Shareable content is stuff that taps into something where they feel an emotional reaction to want to share something because it's going to make them look good in some way. It's going to announce something that they've learned that is new information, or it's that got that wow factor that like, wow, this is unbelievable. And like they, in order for them to compartmentalize it, they are to make sense of it. They actually feel compelled and this is very, you know, neurologically speaking, they feel compelled to share it to lessen the the neuro burden on themselves, which is super crazy. Emotional connection, though, is where it all starts and ends. And you talk about like the number one goal of content is that emotional connection and that truly human connection is what leads to awareness. Awareness is what leads to trust. 
trust leads to loyalty and loyalty is the is really the end goal what are the ways in which you feel you have seen people really forge a loyalty and a build trust with their audience. Those are your words, by the way, following that sort of model of starting with the awareness through emotion and then leading ultimately to that loyalty. Well, you know, it's funny because I think that here's the topic of every marketing book written in the, in the last 10 years. I'll save you a lot of time and money, Billy. Here's the main line of every single marketing book. How can we be heard? That's it whether it's a book on SEO or social media or content or strategy, how can we be heard? How do we cut through all this overwhelming information density and how can we be heard? And I think there's really ultimately only one strategy and that is to add our human voice. Because to be, to stand out, you have to be original. To be original, you really only have one choice You have to share your story because there's nobody like you. And that takes some courage. And I think that's what drives that continuum from awareness to, to loyalty is that willingness to share your story. My favorite quote from the Marketing Rebellion book was from Philip Kotler. And the reason I'm in marketing is I took my first marketing class at West Virginia University and I opened up Principles of Marketing by Dr. Philip Kotler. And he says, marketing is a combination of sociology, psychology, and anthropology. And I thought that is the coolest thing ever. Marketing is all things human. It's not that way now. It's supposed to be. Philip Kotler is now 88 years old. He was on a podcast last year. And here's what he said. What's missing in marketing today is a truly human voice, a voice that's friendly, that's accessible, even vulnerable. Mm. That's, and I, you know, I, I just hang on that word every time I say that quote, because it's so powerful and he's so right. And, you know, I don't know how many decades ago, he has this book that basically says marketing is all things human. And here he is, he's 88 years old and he's still telling us the same thing. And we need that more than ever. And that's why marketing is really sick today. I think that's the key. I think that's the key to loyalty. Ultimately used to be, you know, maybe it was coupons. Maybe it was lemon scented, you know, (laughs) I don't know. But I think today the emotion really isn't connected to a brand or to advertising. It's to people. It's to, we want to know who are these people? What are they doing? Is this a good company I could believe in? That almost transcends how good the products are. Mm. And what a defining moment in your life to have exposure to him and learn that so early on and gravitate to the field that you're in and that you feel so passionately about and is really a, a defining part of your overall purpose, you know, because you could talk to your point, you could talk about SEO, social media, advertising, online clubs, posting and all these different things. But really one of the things that you talk about is this acknowledgement of your fans, which taps into what you're talking about, which is the human side and really connecting with those other human beings. And so you highlight some really creative ways to really engage with your community, to engage with your fans, things like 
you know, you're going to tweet like, Hey, I have a long commute. You know, if somebody wants to talk or, yeah. you know, uh, like those sorts of things go a long, long way or inviting somebody on a zoom call. Why are those things so important? And what are some of the ways that you found most effective to really connect you to those other human beings that you're, you're divided by this online medium, but you, you can break that wall down by being intentional about it. It's yeah. Part of it is being intentional and part of it is being natural. I interviewed somebody, and, and there's a quote in, in my new book that's going to be out in February that said, you don't have to network. You just have to be a good human being. And so I don't know. I mean, I'll just use this as an example. So there, there's, I saw this woman online. She, you know, Her business has crumbled during the pandemic. She's been struggling she doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know where to turn. I don't really know her that well. And I just said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm good at helping people with this. Let's just have a chat. And she said, oh, wow. She said, I, said, I can't believe you're doing this. Should I take up your time? I said, well, that's my decision. This is what I'm good at. And this is how I can help people during the pandemic. And now, what am I going to get out of that? I, nothing. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> That's not the issue. Just for me, being a good human being is is maybe the is is maybe my best marketing. Maybe I'm intentional by showing up. P- people often tell me, Billy, market. What's amazing to me is that you're so nice and you're so friendly. It's just like, why is that a surprise? Why does that take anybody by surprise? It's, it doesn't take that much time to be nice and to be friendly and to respond to a person's tweet. The subtitle of my Marketing Rebellion book is The Most Human Company Wins. Part of that is being intentional, maybe to unleash your people, but part of it is also kind of natural. If we could just be more of who we are at our best, wouldn't people just love us? Wouldn't people just want to support us and want to help us and buy stuff from us? You know, and how do we scale that on a corporate level? That's the interesting challenge that I'm really interested to see over the next few years because it's inevitable. Yeah. And and to your point, it takes no time practically to just be kind and to do something that's just a retweet or a a message or something like that goes so far. Last question. I'm a big believer in heroes and mentors. I know a hero of yours is Benjamin Franklin and a mentor of yours is Peter Drucker. You could pick one or both. What did you find most valuable in their story, in their lives, or in the way in which they taught you? Well, you know, I'd have to talk about Dr. Drucker. I got to study under him at Claremont Graduate University for three years. And I think the thing that means so much to me about Dr. Drucker is he was such a good human. He's the most famous business author in the history of the world. He's the most famous business consultant of all time. And he would come in on a Saturday morning and he'd sit at the edge of his desk with a box of donuts and a carafe of coffee and just talk about the book he was writing in that day or whatever. And he was so nice and so kind and so accessible. He was so down to earth, you forgot who he really was. And I still have all of my papers that he graded oh, wow. with his notes on my papers. He, he graded his own papers. And what an example, what a personification of everything that we've talked about in this interview about the most human company wins and 
and adding your original story, telling your story, and to and to be the best human you can be. Those are the stories I'm going to tell about Professor Drucker. I mean, you know, I'll always remember his lessons, but the story I tell is what a nice guy he was and how kind he was to us. And he was this like grandfatherly figure who had the biggest impact on my professional life. So he was a very special guy. Mm, what a perfect way to end. So I, I just got to say, so thankful. So Mark already talked about his new book coming out, Cumulative Advantage. You can also check out his other books. There, we talked a lot about Known today, but Marketing Rebellion, there's a workbook for Known, The Content Code, Social Media Explained, The Tao of Twitter, Return of Influence, Born to Blog, his website, businessesgrow.com. You can find him, of course, on all the social media platforms. He's prolific on Twitter, which is Mark W. Schaefer, Schaefer with an A-E, so S-C-H-A-E-F-E-R. Mark, what if I missed his blog, which I am a brand new fan of. I, I binge listened to it. So the marketing companion, it's entertaining and does a lot of the things that we talked about today, which is differentiates itself from other podcasts out there by being fun, by being entertaining, by not taking itself too seriously, by talking about random things like uh, what your daughter does with your Christmas deer on the front uh, lawn, which you can listen to what I'm talking about there. But Mark, I'm just so grateful, man, and really excited to have met you and, and, and learn from you. What else uh, would be fun for the listener to, to listen or find you at? Well, yeah, thanks so much for the kind words and for becoming a new fan of the blog and the podcast. Uh, you know, I just, I, I always love to hear from people what they thought about, you know, your show. And you can go to businessesgrow.com and find my blog, my podcast, and all my social media connections. And you never know, maybe this is one of those random moments that will inspire someone. And maybe out there, some someone will be listening that will be a future collaborator or a future fan or whatever. So follow your curiosity and uh, take advantage of those random moments that open new doors. Yeah, because you never know when a life-defining, life-changing, or truly remarkable moment of insight happens. Mm -hmm. Mark Schaefer, thank you for being on Inside Out. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.